Welcome to the Words That Minister Grace podcast. In this podcast, we read excerpts from books that the host finds edifying. Expect to hear from authors such as Matthew Henry, John Calvin, and J.C. Ryle. We take our name from Ephesians 4.29, where Paul exhorts us that our speech should build up each other, or as the King James says, minister grace. I am your host, the fake King Hesse. In this episode, we continue our reading of Calvin's Institutes, Book 2, Chapter 8. We will be reading Section 41 through 44, reading Calvin's discussion on the Seventh Commandment. Seventh Commandment, Thou shalt not commit adultery. 41. The purport of this commandment is that as God loves chastity and purity, we ought to guard against all uncleanliness. The substance of the commandment, therefore, is that we must not defile ourselves with any impurity or libidinous excess. To this corresponds the affirmative, that we must regulate every part of our conduct chastely and continently. The thing expressly forbidden is idolatry, to which lust naturally tends, that its filthiness, being of a grosser and more palatable form, inasmuch as it casts a stain even on the body, may it dispose us to abominate every form of lust. As the law under which man was created was not to lead a life of solitude, but enjoy a helpmate for him, and ever since he fell under the curse the necessity for this mode of life is increased, the Lord made a requisite provision for us in this respect by the institution of marriage, which, entered into under his authority, he is also sanctified with his blessing. Hence, it is evident that any mode of cohabitation different from marriage is cursed in his sight and that the conjugal relation was ordained as a necessary means of preventing us from giving way to unbridled lust. Let us beware, therefore, of yielding to indulgence, seeing that we are assured that the curse of God lies on every man and woman cohabiting without marriage. 42. Now, since natural feeling and the passions unnamed by the fall make the marriage tie doubly necessary, Save in the case of those whom God has by special grace exempted, let every individual consider how the case stands with himself. Virginity, I admit, is a virtue not to be despised, but since it is denied to some, and to others granted only for a season, those who are assailed by incontinence and unable successfully to war against it should retake themselves to the remedy of marriage, and thus cultivate chastity in the way of their calling. Those incapable of self-restraint, if they apply not to the remedy allowed and provided for in temperance, or with God and resist his ordinance. And let no man tell me, as many in the present day do, that he can do all things God helping. The help of God is present with those only who walk in his ways, Psalm 91.14, that is, in his callings from which all withdraw themselves who, omitting the remedies provided by God, vainly and presumptuously strive to struggle with and surmount their natural feelings. That continence is a special gift from God, and of the class of those which are not bestowed indiscriminately on the whole body of the church, but only on a few of its members, our Lord affirms, Matthew 19.12. He first describes a certain class of individuals who have made themselves eunuch for the kingdom of heaven's sake, that is, in order that they may be able to devote themselves with more liberty and less restraint to the things of heaven. But lest any one should suppose that such a sacrifice was in every man's power, he had shown a little before that all are not capable, but those only to whom it is specially given from above. Hence, he concludes, He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. 
Paul asserts the same thing still more plainly when he says, Every man has his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. 1 Corinthians 7, 7. 43. Since we are reminded by an express declaration that it is not in every man's power to live chaste and celibacy, although it may be his most strenuous study and aim to do so, that it is a special grace which the Lord bestows only on certain individuals, in order that they may be less encumbered in his service, do we not oppose God and nature, as constituted by him, if we do not accommodate our mode of life to the measure of our ability? The Lord prohibits fornication, therefore he requires purity and chastity. The only method which each has of preserving it is to measure himself by his capacity. Let no man despise matrimony as a thing useless or superfluous to him. Let no man long for celibacy unless he is able to dispense with the married state. Nor even here let him consult the tranquility or convenience of the flesh, save only that freed from this tie he may be readier and more prepared for all the offices of piety. And since there are many on whom this blessing is conferred only for a time, let every one, in abstaining from marriage, do it so long as he is fit to endure celibacy. If he has not the power of subduing his passion, let him understand that the Lord has made it obligatory on him to marry. The apostle shows this when he enjoins, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. If they cannot contain, let them marry. He first intimates that the greater part of men are liable to incontinence, and then of those so liable he orders all, without exception, to have recourse to the only remedy by which unchastity may be obviated. The incontinent, therefore, in neglecting to cure their infirmity by this means, sin by the very circumstances of disobeying the apostle's command. And let not a man flatter himself that because he abstains from the outward act he cannot be accused of unchastity. His mind may in the meantime be inwardly inflamed with lust. For Paul's definition of chastity is purity of mind combined with purity of body. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. 1 Corinthians 7.34 Therefore, when he gives a reason for the former precept, he not only says that it is better to marry than to live in fornication, but that it is better to marry than to burn. 44. Moreover, when spouses are made aware that their union is blessed by the Lord, they are thereby reminded that they must not give way to intemperate and unrestrained indulgence. For though honorable wedlock veils the turpitude of incontinence, it is not followed that it ought forthwith to become a stimulus to it. Wherefore, let spouses consider that all things are not lawful for them. Let there be sobriety in the behavior of the husband towards the wife, and of the wife in her turn toward the husband, each so acting as not to do anything unbecoming the dignity and temperance of married life. Marriage contracted in the Lord ought to exhibit measure and modesty, not run to the extreme of wantedness. This excess Ambrose censured gravely, but not undeservedly, when he describes the man who shows no modesty or comeliness in conjugal intercourse, as committing adultery with his wife. Lastly, let us consider who the lawgiver is that thus condemns fornication. Even he who, as he is entitled to possess us entirely, requires integrity of body, soul, and spirit. Therefore, while he forbids fornication, he at the same time forbids us to lay snares for our neighbor's chastity by lascivious attire, obscene gestures, and impure conversation. There is reason in the remark made by Archelaus to a youth clothed anthemately and over-luxuriously, that it mattered not in what part his wantonness appeared. 
We must have respect to God, who abhors all contamination, whatever be the part of soul or body in which it appears. And that there may be no doubt about it, let us remember that what the Lord here commends is chastity. If he requires chastity, he condemns everything which is opposed to it. Therefore, if you aspire to obedience, let not your mind burn within with evil concupiscence, your eye wanted after corrupting objects, nor your body be decked for allurement. Let neither your tongue by filthy speeches, nor your appetite by intemperance, entice the mind to corresponding thoughts. All vices of this description are a kind of stain which despoil chastity of its purity. Thanks for listening. In the show notes, you can find contact information and a link to the text from today. Remember to heed Paul when he says in Ephesians 4.29 to Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers.